Welcome to the Retirement Clinic with your host, Jeff Kowal, from the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialists. Welcome to the clinic. This is News Talk 1130 WISN and WIBA in Madison, hosted today by Aaron Kowal from the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialist. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, Paul. How are you? I'm fantastic. Beautiful day. I like the cooler weather. And you do? Yeah, I mean, not like 50, but I, I, <laughs> I'll i take 68, 70, 72, and sunny any day over 95 or 100. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. That 72 is just perfect. Yeah, and uh, it, the weather forecast, you may have heard it at the top of the hour, it gets better every day. Sunny for the next four or five days and warming up a bit every day. So a great week ahead of us. As you know, the retirement clinic is uh, broadcast in Madison and Milwaukee and WISN. We have a guest joining us today. And Aaron, I'm going to let you take care of introductions and also a very interesting topic on the retirement clinic. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I always say that... You know, people's favorite topic is themselves, so I'll let Ann get, get in more detail. But she's been, been a longtime friend with uh, Ann Hanneman. She's an employment law, HR lawyer um, at Von Breesen and Roper, and, and very knowledgeable. We're talking um, a lot about today about businesses that are trying to reopen during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, risks and issues that they are, are facing, um, among some other things. So that we've seen an uptick in class action lawsuits as well, so Ann can talk about that. So, Ann, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of your background, who you are, what makes, what makes you so great, too? <laughs> Thank you, Erin. I'm pleased to be with you and Paul this morning. I am an attorney at Von Briesen and Roper, and I practice in the employment HR litigation and advising businesses on any employment issues. And we've been particularly busy dealing with COVID, as you mentioned, and I think we'll have time to talk about some other issues that businesses face in reopening during COVID as well as experience through uh, the years. I've been practicing employment law and representing businesses for over 30 years and always find it interesting, challenging, and rewarding to help businesses succeed in handling workplace challenges. Yeah, because there's a lot going on. I mean, you, you know, you can't just open and say, okay, everything's back to normal, uh, you know, get in. <laughs> you know, so you know, there, there has to be some adaptions and, and, you know, and changes for a lot of that. I know, Paul, you guys are still uh, dealing with a lot of you know, restrictions, and, and, and it can be you know, tough to kind of figure out what's the right way to go. Well, let's, let's use us as an example, and, and, I'll, and then that'll trans, kind of transform into the, all the businesses that are trying to reopen but maybe struggle. It's not as easy as just, okay, we're a restaurant, and now we can open up, open the doors, and we're going to be back to life as it was. Here at uh, the iHeart Complex, which has six radio stations, Am. It's essential employees only, meaning our lobby is closed to the public. On-air personnel are allowed in studio, but when it comes time to guests or weekend shows, we still have you calling in on the phone. And iHeart's a very big company, nationally owning 800-plus radio stations, so we are six out of those 800. Clearly, there's they've got concerns, and it's not as easy as saying, oh, COVID's over. Let's get everybody back in. Well, COVID's not over. It's still out there, even though states and businesses, Anne, are slowly opening back up. What seems to be the biggest challenge, Anne, for most businesses? 
The challenge, of course, is making sure that employees are coming back to a safe and healthy work environment during the pandemic. And taking precautions does require employers to really look at how the business runs, the interaction employees have with one another, and in your case, looking at are there ways in which we can deliver our services without putting our employees, customers, at risk for exposure to COVID or to enhance the spread. So in looking at putting together plans, and that's where we're seeing a lot of our clients dealing with developing a plan to bring employees back slowly if they're able, and bringing those employees back that need to perform their jobs on premises, and letting those who can perform and deliver and be productive do that off-site, as in your case, it sounds, Paul. Yeah, yeah, that's what you said is kind of exactly what we're going through. What about other businesses, Ann? What's your sense that you get from business owners, both I, I'm sure you deal with the mom and pop, smaller, and then at the corporate level as well? Is the thought, let's be careful, let's, let's ease back into this? Yes, and I think one of the issues that, of course, is on everyone's mind is liability and exposure to claims in bringing individuals back where the precautions haven't been necessarily communicated, installed, and we're seeing a lot of businesses, and I think we've all uh, experienced and seen, for example, in the beauty industry, what precautions have been taken before customers are coming through the door for services. We're seeing protective equipment being donned by individuals who are working with customers, again, targeted at stopping the spread of COVID and assuring that there is no exposure. We've seen many different steps being employed by employers, temperature checks, for example, where under normal circumstances that would be prohibited by state and federal law. But during the pandemic, that certain measures are deemed to be acceptable to reduce the health implications of COVID. No, and you, you deal with employment litigation. When you just hear that word litigation, does that scare some business owners? Hey, listen, if if they can prove they got COVID here, which I think would be hard to prove, right? But that's, if that's correct, yeah. I mean, how do you prove that? Because you're you're exposed to so many things. Where have you gone? But is that a concern that hey, we might get sued, or an employee might turn around and sue us because of COVID? It certainly is a concern, and there's workers' compensation laws that would be implicated if it's an employee. However employers and businesses opened up are concerned about potential liability and facing frivolous lawsuits and lawsuits that cost time and money. Um, And employers really need to be focused on looking at the best available CDC guidelines, guidance, 
and taking steps because we have to be mindful that if an employer does open and acts in reckless disregard for the health and safety recommendations, there could be liability that if on a state and federal level, if there is liability protection, that would be afforded to businesses, it likely is not going to cover an employer or a business that opens without taking any precautions and just says, hey, we're back to business as usual. So there really needs to be a focus as businesses are opening. They're looking to what guidance are and is available to them and what other people in the industry are doing to take those safety precautions. The other factor is just a human factor in making sure that our employees know when they come back that we are concerned about safety, and that's our highest priority when we're welcoming employees back on premises if they've been away. And having that communication, having that education, and letting employees know we're on it, here's the precautions we are expecting of you, and that we will be imposing during the pandemic, whether that's staggered shifts, whether that's keeping the number of individuals that you deal with, whether that's wearing masks in a conference room. There are a number of precautions that employers can take to provide that assurance both to employees, visitors, and customers. Now, is there, um, you know, I know that the, the, it's been so sh- short a time that there hasn't been you know, established law or established, you know, legislation or even precedent. Um, you know, I know that there is, they've been working on some, you know, some things for, for employer liability protection. Um, is there anything going on with that, or do we just have to kind of wait and see what, what happens with with plaintiffs and what happens with uh, lawsuits? Yeah, and, and – uh uh, there, there are some lawsuits that have already been initiated, and uh, there's probably about a thousand um, that have been filed thus far throughout the country. Oh. And uh, one in particular in uh, the Chicago area, talking about uh, addressing or challenging a McDonald's franchise for the lack of signage and providing safety regulations that keep their employees free from this recognized hazard due to the pandemic. On the federal level, um, there have been proposals, and it's anticipated that if there is a stimulus for, that there might be some discussion about including those protections for businesses. The U.S. Chamber has advanced some uh, an outline of those protections for employers, particularly in the areas of making inquiries about medical conditions and taking those steps so that employers aren't then uh, being sued for taking all the precautions that they can. On the state level, uh, WMC has been active in um, encouraging businesses to contact legislators about advancing the state protections. We've seen that in healthcare thus far, but um, WMC and others here um, have been trying to advance 
larger protections that would protect all businesses from, again, taking those safety precautions. After the break, now, we've got Ann with us the entire show. In fact, um, Aaron, we have to break Sue, but I understand she's taking your job and doing the boss minute. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, I've got I've had some questions for her, too, because we, you know, we talk about yeah, we're talking a lot about risk for employers with COVID as well as the retirement clinics. Well, you know, I focus more on, on business owners, and a lot of you know, businesses are the retirement plan for for employers. And so I thought it would be valuable information to get you know to get out there. So yes, we actually absolutely have some um, a very good boss uh, boss segment when we when we come back. That's business owners savings and security. Ann Hanneman, our guest, uh, employment litigation attorney with uh, HR law uh, expertise. So if you have a question about this as we talk about COVID and, and reopening, um, text us, please. Use the Accident Mortgage text line. It is 414-799-1130. As far as Aaron Kowal, the retirement clinic, we'll be right back here in WISN. Please check out their website for the Kowal Investment Group, thekowalway.com. Thekowalway.com. We'll be right back on ISN and WIBA Madison. And we are back. That music means now typically this boss segment, business owners, savings and security would be handled by Aaron Kowal, who is your host today for the retirement clinic on WISN and WIBA. But because we've got attorney Ann Hanneman on and it kind of ties in, Aaron, with what we talk about for business owners, you're going to hand it over to Ann. I am. It's, a, it's dangerous to do that, right? To give that much power to somebody. But I think we can... We can we can have it in in Anne's trusty hands here. Um, you know, one of the things I've, I've seen recently, I kind of mentioned it earlier, is a kind of an uptick in these class action lawsuits. Uh, and we were Dan and I were talking a little bit, you know, beforehand about some of this. But you know, so there's some sometimes that there are some legitimate concerns, and sometimes you know, not where where you know it could be some something maybe drummed up for just to create attorney's fees. Um, sorry, Anne, but um, you know, the where, where employer you know, employee checks in. Or to work and um, or clocks in, uh, you know, and then leaves to go smoke or or whatever, and then somehow feels that they were uh, wronged by the employer, or uh, they come in you know, work early uh, before, before clocking in, and you know, donate the time, and then leave and want to be compensated for all that. So, and how do you kind of protect yourself as an employer? Because uh, I know that we've seen a lot of those in the, in the area recently. How do you protect? yourself as an employer to make sure that you don't become a victim of, of this, that you have good policies and procedures in place uh, for, for employees. I know it's a broad question. We could spend many shows on this one topic, uh, but, you know, if we can spend a few minutes just kind of uh, picking your brain on this. Perfect, yes. Um, as we talked about earlier, there is a nationwide trend and uh, a trend in the state of Wisconsin with filing class action lawsuits under the Fair Labor Standards Act Act that governs wage and hour laws. And protection really comes down to good timekeeping practices and policies and making sure that you know when your employees are working and when the time records reflect that. In the example you gave, and I've had a number of cases dealing with this exact issue, when an individual clocks in and there is record that I'm actually starting work at 7, but in reality, I don't start working until 7.30. 
when uh, my supervisor comes in. Now what happens is potentially an employee gets fired. Um, They may solicit the help of an attorney, and that attorney is going to ask them, hey, did you get paid all the time you worked? Um, Well, you know, here's what I would do on a regular basis. I would clock in. Oh, they made you come at 7 o'clock? Well, um, I was there and I clocked in, and the records show I was, quote, unquote, on the clock. But look look at my pay stubs. They only started paying me at 7.30. Well, did you always start work early? Uh, Yeah, I think I did. I think I did start at 7 o'clock. And I only spent a couple minutes, um, you know, I might have a cigarette outside, and, you know, I I was starting to work. And the problem where you've got a disparity between the documentation and what somebody is potentially going to testify to is the employer – has to explain why there is a basis for contending that the individual didn't start work at 7.30 when you have conflicting documentation. So at the outset, I said about the timekeeping policies and practices, it is important to make sure that those reflect accurately time worked and to assure on the end result, that individual is getting paid for all hours worked. And a couple of things to be aware of about wage and hour lawsuits and why they are so costly to employers is, first, there is a two-year, potentially three-year statute of limitations on these claims. So if employees belong to a class and everyone in the department or everyone in the company fits within that class and there's a half-hour disparity, that time adds up fast. Oh, it's like a mushroom, right? Because you think, oh, well, it's a half-hour or 15 minutes, but if you multiply that across uh, 200 employees, 300 employees over uh, two, three years, that's not cheap. It's it, it, it's phenomenal. And then the other component to that is there may be time and a half involved if that time extends somebody where they're entitled to work, uh, entitled to be paid time and a half for work in excess of 40 hours per week. So oftentimes these lawsuits are very factually and time intensive adding again to the to the cost of defending these types of claims but having your policies having your practices reviewed and the other thing on top of that Aaron is the enforcement of the timekeeping practices if if there is um uh the policy in place that all employees must begin work at the time they clock in Supervisors and managers need to enforce that, and there should be a verification that, yes, indeed, there's no employees working off the clock so we can assure that these types of lawsuits won't have any merit. That's uh, – my mind you know, is going, so I mean, it really is important just to have these – you know, procedures in place. I mean, does, and that um, obviously doesn't, well, it doesn't apply to maybe salaried employees because uh, they're not getting necessarily getting paid per hour, but are there any other concerns with, with that or working um, through lunch or not? 
Yes. Um, well, with salaried employees, we see a number of claims being filed for misclassifying individuals who really aren't exempt from overtime, but are uh, misclassified and they really are entitled to overtime. And in that situation, again, that cost dramatically increases if, for example, for the last two years, I have a an individual who I deem to be in the classification of an administrative employee and exempt from overtime. If that employee is truly entitled to overtime, going back two years, paying that individual that time and a half for each and every week that individual actually worked over 40, that really adds up. So misclassification of those falling within the exempt status is an area that we do see FLSA uh, class action lawsuits in, again, uh, an area that employers really need to be carefully monitoring. Attorney Ann Hanneman is our guest here on the Retirement Clinic, WISN and WIBA. And you're an attorney at Von Briesen and Roper. That's Uh, correct. Where are you located? I am actually in our Waukesha County office. And we have several offices throughout the state. We're headquartered downtown Milwaukee. Um, fantastic. And, uh, Aaron, usually when we have guests on, we, you know, if you've got follow-up questions or even during the show, you can certainly shoot us a text on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This topic has, it affects all of us that are employed, Aaron, at, at the Coal Investment Group. During the whole COVID period, you were doing virtual sit-downs with your clients, I assume, correct? Yeah, we, we, and we still offer that as well. Um, we, Moved all of our appointments to you know, via Zoom calls, um, and you know it, it's uh, you know it really we got some really good feedback from from our clients. It, it, by and large, they, you know they they enjoyed that. I think they just didn't want to have to see me face to face, but you know, um, but you know it, it, it was a nice option to you know to provide for our clients. And now we are seeing people uh, in person uh, as well as uh, virtually. Um, so it really kind of you know, works out. Um, you know, it, it's worked out well. And just you know, you could have done something like this 20 years ago as easily. Yeah. Uh, you know, right with the technology uh, that we have now, and uh, broadband being pretty widespread in our area where where our clients uh, are. So it's really um, you know been been nice to be able to do this. But and I just have what I wanted to ask one more question about uh, you know, the class action lawsuits because a lot of times it's not even. If you're following the policies and procedures um, uh, that that are advised by by attorneys, but it's a lot of times it's also it's kind of like you're 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 guilty even if you're not because of the, of the cost to defend. Certainly, and and these are expensive from the standpoint that they are very factually intense. You may have a department, um, let's say in a machine shop that has 20 or 30 individuals, and individuals come and go. They depend upon, hey, I'll stay late if there's a a rush job that needs to be taken care of, and am I accurately recording my time and making sure that I'm, I'm clocking out? There may not be a supervisor there. 
There may not be checks on a time card to make sure that they are reflecting accurate time worked. So sometimes this does get down to a almost a he said, she said type situation where an employee may be contending, hey, I, I did work off the clock and my supervisor knew it because I got that job done and it took me four extra hours during that week to get it done. And again, you know, with the um, liability potentially at stake, these are very costly lawsuits to defend. Yeah. And if you know, if people want to get in touch with you, have more more questions that we can handle on on the on the show today. What's a good number to reach you at, and what's a good email? Uh, my my office is two six two nine two three eight six five two, and my email a hanneman a h a n n e m a n at vonbriesen dot com. Great. Now, uh, Aaron, I do want to give out information on on you. Since your office is, let's talk about your office locations. Because we're on WIBA Madison, you do have a Middleton office, which is right there. That's kind of a burb of Madison, I guess. Yeah. Uh, most recently, you opened up in Racine. Yeah, we did on uh, in Mount Pleasant uh, on Washington Avenue, Highway 20 down there. Uh, we have our office in Port Washington uh, as well, and then our um, global intergalactic headquarters here in uh, Pewaukee, uh, Waukesha. So and our number is 262-522-4040, 262-522-4040. You can also find us on the Kowal, K-O-W-A-L, thekowalway.com. Uh, there's a spot there to, to check uh, if you want to you know, get together, just to kind of re- review what's going on uh, in, in your situation um, at the com for complimentary, as my dad would say, complimentary. So we'll say nice things about you, but uh, you know, no, no obligation, no cost. Uh, a, a, a discovery meeting. So we're happy to, to go over what's what's going on on there. So you also find us on Twitter at Kowal K O W A L underscore Invest. Also on Facebook and. Uh, LinkedIn uh, as well. Connect with me personally. Also, our our company as well. We're not on Instagram or Snapchat yet, so um. yeah. What those? <laughs> some of those are kind of you know Snapchat. I don't know what you'd be snapping out, but you can only know. be on so many social media platforms. I always tell people just go to thekowalway.com. K O W A L. Everything's linked up. By the way, uh, both stations Monday through Friday, you hear the Kowal Investment Group do the market updates. The uh, business reports and you get, you know, you do them at three o'clock and during the five o'clock news block during the Mark Belling show. Aaron, there's been a lot of volatility lately. Big swings. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so we're 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 doing a lot of stress testing with clients because we've seen a lot of big swings, both down and back up, and you know, this week down down some, uh, you know, again. But uh, you know, we're we're seeing how how it all fits into someone's retirement plan. You know, how has your plan been affected? And by and large. Um, you know, because we, when we work with with clients, we stress test them from the beginning, and we say, let's say, oh eight happens again. Let's say the markets are, you know, go down twenty some percent from here, and then another ten percent, you know, the following year. Uh, how does that look for you? Do, will you still have a successful retirement? And, and by and large, they 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 are, because um, we build that all in, uh, you know, on the outset for retirement plan, uh, for someone. So we don't, when we see these wild swings, 
there's not a lot there shouldn't be a lot of there always is right if there's wild swings but there shouldn't be as much stress because you know you're you're, you're probably still gonna be good yep uh that anxiety should go away if you've got a plan that's a good point and we okay, got a lot coming up stress to us yeah, right. Leave it up to you. I like that, Aaron. Uh, the, the sexy segment is about wealth management and preservation, and it's coming up next. We do this feature every week on the Retirement Clinic with our guest, Ann Hanneman. She's an attorney. Uh, we're talking employment litigation, HR law during COVID-19, and we got a lot more coming up on the Retirement Clinic. Your host is Aaron Kowal from the Kowal Investment Group. I'm Paul Cronforst on WISN and WIBA. All right, we are back. The music, the music says it all. The sexy segment. We do this each week. It's about wealth management and preservation. The Retirement Clinic is hosted by Aaron Kowal. Aaron is with the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialist, and an interesting topic today. We've invited attorney Ann Hanneman on, talking about HR law, talking about employment litigation, and soon the topic of what happens when everybody that's been working at home wants to or maybe doesn't want to go back to the office for whatever reason. That's an interesting topic. Before we get to that, Aaron, the floor is yours for today's sexy segment. Well, I wanted to bring in, Paul, believe it or not, all my times on, on, on the show is my first uh, first time doing the, the sexy segment. No! Really, I have my guest, but I wanted to take take this one. As many years as I've been on here, um, you know, there's an interesting article, and I like how, how it's laid out, so I'm just going to read you know, part of it. It's from Ed Slots, you know, IRAhelp.com, by, and the article's by Andy Ives. Uh, but, but we're talking about Roth conversions. I want to have something a little more, more general, but that would be applicable to, to most of our listeners here. But the, you know, the, the, the article starts, The king of the land wanted to send 100,000 of his greatest warriors off to battle. However, he was told that 20,000 of the warriors need to remain behind to protect the castle. The king of the land did not like this news. He wanted a full complement of soldiers in the fight. So the king of the land decided to send all 100,000 warriors off to battle, and he used an additional 20,000 warriors from another army to protect the castle. And you're thinking, how the heck does this relate to Roth IRA conversions? You know, it goes on to say the, invest, the investor wanted to convert $200,000 of his traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, However, it was recommended that he withhold 24% for taxes. The investor did not want to send only 152000 to his Roth. The investor wanted all $200,000 growing tax-free. So the investor had 0% withheld, converting the full $200,000 and used $48,000 from a non-qualified savings account to pay the taxes due. And that's, you know, I want to talk about that's, that's something that we do a lot with our with our clients, when we're talking about Roth conversions, they say, well, I, want, I want to convert 100000 I want to convert $200,000 to a Roth, it's, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to take it from the IRA uh, itself, because instead of having all that money working for you tax-free, you're going to have significantly less um, you know, going, going for that. And one thing also, another thing uh, to, to consider when doing Roth conversions is under 59 and a half, there's a 10, 10% uh, federal early withdrawal penalty. For that, so if you take the if you if you take uh, the withdrawal or the, the I'm sorry if you do the conversion and then but then you have to take a withdrawal from the IRA in order to pay the taxes on it, you're going to have to uh, pay a 10% federal uh, early withdrawal penalty and in the little known state of Wisconsin 3.33% penalty 
uh, as well. Oh, in addition to the 10. So now you're at close to 14%. 13.33%. So people don't, you know, they, everyone talks about the 10% early withdrawal penalty. But it takes a, reti- a retirement specialist to know <laughs> about the 3.33% um, in the state of Wisconsin. That's a big uh, hit. Penalty. Yeah, and so that's under 59.5 because it's counted as an early distribution from the IRA. Right. And that, that this, so the 50000 you know, conversion. If, if the, the conversion will also count as already income for the year. So you got to watch this also because it could put um, uh, put you in jeopardy for financial aid if you have kids in college um, or to qualify for different financial uh, aid. Um, also, because uh, it counts as ordinary income, the distribution does it to to do. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the the conversion. So if you do a fifty thousand dollar conversion. That fifty thousand counts as ordinary income, so it could affect financial aid. Um, it could also uh, affect uh, Medicare if you're on Medicare. The premiums that you pay uh, for Medicare and other you know, federal uh, programs. So you got to kind of watch that. Um, you know, the, the article says, well, well, tax-free earnings in a Roth are a great motivator. Also, understand that using IRA funds to pay taxes on a conversion will reduce the conversion amount, thereby potentially setting your retirement account back, not forward. And it says not everyone has extra cash in a non-qualified account available to cover the taxes on a Roth conversion. And for that reason, the loan is imperative to do your homework. So that's where we, we work with our clients. We, we, we do projections, calculations for our clients so that we know going into it what it's going to cost and the best strategy to do it. And we plan it out as part of the retirement plan uh, so that um, we, we know how to look long term. I, I love that. Great advice, Aaron. There's so many hidden things or just that, you know, who, okay, 3.3 added on to 10. You've got to do the math. Um, and that's where you guys come in at the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialist. And now we turn our attention back to Ann Hanneman, our, our guest attorney. And we've been talking about COVID-19. And really, Aaron, you wanted to kick off this topic of, the trend of working at home, which yeah. may or may not work for some companies. It's not like we didn't have it before COVID. Many companies right. had employees doing that, but then you really saw it kick in because of COVID. Where do we go from here? Well, right. And there's a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a boon, you know, it's a godsend and it's a trap or, or, or hindrance to, and so much, on a case by case basis, it's on a company by company basis. It's on. It's one. I mean, this is one of the most astounding things I've seen, where a lot of times rules apply to everybody. Right? Uh, we all know. You know, the, the limit on IRA contributions and Roth IRA contributions are the same across the country, uh, but it is on a case by case, a company by company, department by department, and individual by individual basis. So, Anne, I want to throw it to you because. You know, and I'm not. Uh, I'm speaking in more general, not about my company or about, and we're not having really any issues with this. But not, uh, with not with with my company or anybody that I know personally. My question is: You have an employee that likes to work from home, wants to work from home, and the employer might have a different point of view. Say, maybe thinking that they're not as productive or that they can't do the job. What happens if you have? a disagreement between the employer and the employee on the effectiveness and ability for them to work from home? That's a great question and a question we're hearing from our clients as reopening plans are requesting employees to come back on site and perform their jobs where they've been working at home for 10, 12 weeks. One piece of advice that's really critical to avoiding 
legal pitfalls here when addressing this issue or a refusal to return to work is assessing the reason why the employee doesn't want to return. There may be laws like Family Medical Leave, Americans with Disabilities Act, or the Families First Coronavirus Response Act that requires employers under 500, with under 500 employees to give paid sick leave or extended family medical leave if there are designated issues that relate to COVID. So first, making the decision and having the dialogue with the employee, is this convenience? Meaning, hey, I'd rather work in my pajamas all day than drive to the office because, <laughs> hey, my life is pretty good. I'd rather stay here. Well, we, we know we all work in our pajamas here, Cole, yes. but, but you know, in the office or not. But, but you know what? And we joke about it. I have heard friends and family say alike, oh, I'm getting pretty used to this at and my I'm own. Productive. And that's that. maybe that's a, a good thing or maybe it's not such a good thing. Yeah. And, and I think I'm hearing from clients that really have a philosophy that we want our individual employees to interact with one another and yes, we can be productive when necessary in working, working off-site, but it is our fundamental policy or philosophy that we want individuals working together as teams, departments interact, and that is something intangible that we want to preserve, and we are requesting that individual employees come back on-site. And um, I've had a number of employees um, indicating, hey, I would prefer to stay home. And in that situation, businesses are requiring individuals to come back. If it's a medical reason, that is something different. There may be legal protections if it's COVID-19 related and the family's first um, coronavirus response act requires leave time to be given then that leave time must be given. But at the end of the day, it is the employer's decision as to whether they will require that employee to come back by a given time or date and return to work on premises. Well, I think that's key, Ann. What you're saying, even though you like your PJs and working out of your home office, it's really not your decision. It is the employer, by law, their decision. Yes, and and I know a number of businesses that have been doing a great job of communicating with employees that once this pandemic is over, you will be expected to return. We are working towards a return to work. The other concern I, 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 I will address is you may have employees who are legitimately afraid communicating, educating, and again, getting back to that reopening plan, assure the individuals what steps are being taken to assure their safety when they come back to work. Are there systems in place that minimize exposure? You know, we've, we've, uh, for, for example, we're requiring face masks. Again, that isn't dictated by law, but under certain circumstances, there may be legitimate concerns for asking employees to wear face masks 
when interacting with the public, for example. Yeah, that's that's all key good points uh, that you're making, Anne. And we're going to break. We've got to squeeze in our last break, but then we're going to come back and kind of wrap up this whole topic with our guest, Attorney Anne Hanneman, uh, joining your host, Aaron Kowal, from the Kowal Investment Group. This is the Retirement Clinic, WISM Milwaukee, WIBA Madison, back after this. The Retirement Clinic is back with our host, Aaron Kowal. And Aaron, we've got just a couple minutes left with our guest today, Attorney Ann Hanneman. Yes, I'm always shocked how fast these go. Um, but yes, I wanted to, we only have a couple of minutes, but I wanted to turn it back over to Ann one, one more time. Uh, Ann, is there, what, what's going on right now? What's one more thing that we have just a couple minutes on that, that people should know or, or be aware of on your end? Certainly, all businesses need to be paying attention to changing recommendations concerning health and safety of employees. And as we come out of the pandemic, these laws and regulations will dissipate in terms of the safety measures that are put in place, making sure that policies are up-to-date, individuals are receiving clear information regarding expectations as we return to work and following policies and procedures and getting those in place and certainly asking for that legal advice and getting a review of those policies is always important to minimizing liability as we go forward. Businesses have shown resiliency during this time, have absorbed a lot of information and are, I think, anxious to get back to work and must do so carefully, being mindful of these changing legal dynamics. We want to thank our guest today, Ann Hanneman. Hey, Aaron, let's give out information. How do we get in touch with you guys? Yes, our phone number is 262-522-4040. Website is the Kowal, K-O-W-A-L, thekowalway.com. Find us on Facebook, uh, connect with us on LinkedIn, and on Twitter at Kowal underscore invest. And we thank the again Kowalway. our, yep, com. we got to wrap it up this week. And thank you for your time today. You're welcome. It's Glad been to a, be with you. Been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in the Retirement Clinic on WISN and WIBA.